Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. We are so glad you're here. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. This is Andy Krissinger. I am the Director of Coaching at Reboot. And I'm excited to be here today with one of my coaching clients, Evan Drumright from Dexterous Robotics. And we're going to be talking today about some of the particular challenges of scaling as a technical founder and CEO. Obviously, scaling a company as a CEO is hard no matter what. And particularly founding CEOs who are leading through the early startup to scaling years will often report that they feel like from season to season, they're leading a completely different company in terms of what's required of them. And then if the founding CEO happens to have technical expertise and someone who has been intricately involved in the building of the product and and the technology um, underlying the product, that can bring its own set of unique challenges. How does that CEO balance business responsibilities, fundraising, business development, organizational development, building out a leadership team with continuing to lead and guide the product and technology vision? How does the CEO's job description and priorities shift as the company scales? So if a CEO is highly technical, and is instrumental in building out a company's product from the beginning, it may be especially hard to navigate a shifting relationship to that product and technology as the company grows. And this is a theme that has come up a lot in my coaching experience. It comes up a lot with other coaches at Reboot. And I wanted to talk with Evan because I feel like he's been on a growth trajectory around this particular topic and um, has had some some great breakthroughs personally and uh, is really on a great journey. So I want to welcome Evan to the podcast. Evan, it's great to have you. Um, why don't you start by just introducing yourself? Tell us a little bit about you and about your company. Sure. Uh, so Evan Drumright, I, I usually start off my bio talking about my education because I, that was kind of my background. Um, so I, I did uh, undergraduate degrees in in math and computer science. And then I went on to do my PhD in computer science, specializing in robotics and uh, had kind of a long journey from there. <laughs> went, uh, went into academia, uh, worked there for a number of years and uh, decided it wasn't a very good fit for me and decided to start my company after that. That's Dexterous Robotics. And we do high-speed robotics for arduous manipulation tasks. Awesome. As I mentioned earlier, Evan, the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is I've, I've watched you think carefully about these challenges, the ones we were alluding to earlier, the challenges of being a highly technical CEO in a startup that's growing and shifting and where the needs of the company what the company needs out of its CEO shift and change. And I've seen you willing to modulate and, and make transitions as Dexterous has needed you to. And so I think you have a lot to offer other CEOs in similar situations. Uh, and even just normalizing these challenges, talking about them openly, sharing what's working, what hasn't worked, I think could be incredibly valuable to other folks out there even non-technical CEOs, but may maybe CEOs, founders who 
have deep expertise in some other business function, but find themselves in a similar situation as the company grows, their focus needs to shift and they need to empower others to really lead out in those areas where they're maybe most comfortable. So uh, maybe let's just get into it a bit more. And um, just by way of introduction, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story for you as founder of Dextrous, but then in particular, what was your relationship to the core technology from the beginning? Sure. So I'll I'll kind of pick up where my bio left off, and mm-hmm. uh, you know when I when I got out of grad school, had my PhD, um, I had a few options available. I could go typical kind of thing is to do industrial research somewhere, but I really wanted to be able to pursue my own ideas. Um, and so I went to academia and, um, the, the interesting thing about that kind of job is it's really an amalgamation of jobs mm-hmm. uh, being a professor. You, um, you know, it's one part entrepreneur, um, you have to raise funds and, and run a research lab, uh, one part researcher, one part mentor, one part teacher, um, and, and one part governor, you're, you and the rest of the department are governing the department and helping to govern the institution. So you wear a lot of hats. And what I did find from that job was that it it was a poor fit for me. I I thought the work-life balance was really poor. Don't really have enough time to do quality work. Um, So I was doing so many things, but not that many of them well. Mm. And so I was looking for really the next thing that I wanted to do. And I was looking at all of the things, all of the parts of that job that I did enjoy. Um, and the things I did enjoy were entrepreneurship. Um, I did enjoy research, creating new things. Um, and I enjoyed mentoring. And um, so I looked to make a career transition to something that would emphasize those aspects and um, also kind of leverage you know, my, the, the things that I'd worked my whole life to build. Um, Mm -hmm. and for me as a, as a researcher in robotics, that, that was a few areas. It was a robotic simulation, um, high speed robotics and, uh, robotic manipulation. So I wanted to find something that that could combine all of those together. Um, Mm. it so happened that while I was kind of going through this transition, um, I was out living in the Bay area. And, you know, as the Bay Area tends to be, you run into fellow entrepreneurs there. So, um, you know, we, we ran to some very dynamic people out there and um, they convinced me to think about entrepreneurship. And the more I thought about it, the more I decided that that was what I wanted to do. And um, so next was really what, you know, how could I make a, um, a business out of that? And so that, that, you know, was the the genesis of Dexter's Robotics. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about the early days of setting the technological vision, maybe building the first few ideas. And what specifically was your involvement in that? Yeah. So I had, um, I, I really set the, the vision very early on. I came up with um, the tasks that we were going to focus on and also the pretty unique technology that we developed to, to pursue it. One of the distinguishing characteristics of our technology is that it uses uh, 
it's a it's a robot that essentially uses a pair of chopsticks to pick up all different sizes and shapes of things. And mm. um, I, I was inspired by people doing this, and you know, it was a particular engineering problem that we had to solve, which was, you know, if you look in, oh, let, let's say like an Amazon truck, you've got all different sizes and shapes of packages. Mm-hmm. You've also got different materials. And really, there was no kind of robotic technology that could handle all of those things. You would, if, if you wanted to pick, you know, what we call pick or manipulate all of those items, you would probably have to pick a subset of them. And then you would have to change the mechanical device at the end of the robot to something that was more appropriate for picking the next set. And then you would have to keep doing that. And so I thought, well, mm. you know what? Uh, chopsticks are, are basically a way to solve this kind of problem. You can, um, you can pick up all different sizes and shapes of objects. And the fact that you know, the chopsticks are kind of an extension of our hand tells me that you, or it told me that you could get by on a, a, having a whole lot less sensation than you know, all of the, the nerves that we have in, mm. our, in our skin. So all of those kinds of things inspired me to do that. And then I also came up with our architecture, our software architecture, but this isn't to say, like, I did, you know, I, I created everything. It, in many cases, like, for instance, I came up with the chopstick idea, and then um, I was able to turn a lot of those ideas just over to my um, co-founder or other people on our team and mm-hmm. allow them to turn that vision into into reality. Yep. And uh, so I, I really set the path going forward, um, and I continue to have a lot of input into it. It's it's obviously a lot more than just me and my ideas. Absolutely, and I and I want to talk about that specifically next. So okay, so you so you have you're contributing in the early days a lot of this kind of high level inspiration, and how can we put this together? How can we create novel new approaches to this technology to solve these real world problems? And from early on, you've got sounds like some smart technical folks around you. Talk about those early days of um, sort of figuring out the right level of involvement technically for you as CEO. And what were those early kind of decision points like for you? Well, the very earliest ones were were really areas where I knew that I didn't have the expertise to Mm -hmm. be able to have real input into it. Um, So I had... um, I mean, more definitely more than a superficial knowledge of hardware, but definitely not as much as my co-founder has. And mm-hmm. so for those particular areas, I, I might offer some input from time to time. But those are really... I, I had already pretty much delegated that to yep. I think the, the next kind of phase shift there really happened when I was getting prepared to raise our next round of funding. Mm. So, so we had taken an initial round of funding in December, 2019, and then uh, started preparing for raising another round of funding early last year. And uh, because I was still at that point, the primary software architect, Mm. uh, I was doing two things at once. I was, well, maybe maybe three in this case, but um, I was uh, preparing to, to raise funds and I was also working on the code for our, our, 
our first proof of concept. Hmm. And the combination of those two things, knowing I was responsible for both of those, just ended up putting a lot of pressure on me. And hmm. I reflected on it and I said, you know, I've got this great team. Um, I, I need to be content with uh, being able to, to hand that over to others, even though I enjoy doing the work. Um, mm. And I said two, maybe three. Really, I was doing three jobs because, first of all, I was being CEO. So um, there was a quote. I, uh, I, I can't recall who said it, but I, I heard it and it stuck with me that, you know, a CEO can do at most two jobs. And uh, mm-hmm. um, that <laughs> I had heard that quote after <laughs> I went through this experience. I was like, mm, yeah, that tracks because <laughs> yeah. I, I was doing three there and I, I was, you know, I had the technological responsibilities for me. So I was, um, you know, stepping outside my lane, uh, doing CTO type stuff. And I was also fundraising and doing, um, you know, the stuff that a CEO should do, which is, um, you know, in my mind, setting the vision for the company, um, acquiring resources and, you know, money and talent um, and, uh, in, and also allocating those resources and so acting as the, the chief psychologist for the company, mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, the culture that I'm building and have built is, is really consistent with my vision and, and, um, uh, that everybody is on that same page and, and mm-hmm. on the same mission. You mentioned uh, enjoyment earlier, and that um, that feels like an important theme. I think to to kind of zone in on. Obviously, you're someone who, prior to founding your company, had devoted your life to the study of technology. So obviously, this is stuff that is compelling, deeply compelling to you, if you're going to devote that kind of time and energy to it. And so you mentioned, you recognized that you had to delegate some of these things to capable people around you, even though you really enjoyed doing that work. Can you talk about what that was like for you as a founder when this is maybe the work that you're drawn to because it's exciting and interesting and stimulating? And how do you make that call when it's time to you know, maybe turn in another direction? Well, I figured, I've since figured out a, a few things, like what's the right kind of stuff for me to work on and, and mm-hmm. what are bad things for me to work on? And, uh, you know, why am I working on anything in the first place? That's, uh, you know, why am I working on anything technical in the first place? That, I think that's also a very valuable, <laughs> that's a very valuable mm. question to ask. But yeah, I think you kind of want to start with the things that you just should not work on. And you absolutely, as CEO, you should not be working on anything that is on the critical path for something that the business needs. And why not? That may be an obvious question, but can you say why not? You know, the way the CEO job works, the responsibilities often come in waves. Mm -hmm. Um, I've, I've had some weeks where, you know, it's relatively quiet. And I've had some weeks like this week where, you know, I'm up late working every night and early working every morning and I'm working weekends too. And, um, it's, it's very hard to tell a priori when those times are going to come. So 
you know, if you start a new project based on, hey, I'm not super busy right now. Well, uh, next week may come and, and it will completely knock out your ability to work on that thing. And meanwhile, your entire team stalls because they were counting on you to do that. Yep. yep. So, uh, yeah, in my opinion, that's, that is not something uh, CEOs should be doing, at least not, not, in, um, not outside the very earliest stages. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you mentioned a heuristic earlier, which is, you know, a question that you might pose to yourself why am I working on anything technical? And, <laughs> right. and so the idea would be the answer has to pass a certain, certain muster in order to proceed. Right. And so tell me a little bit about how you think of that. I think about that in, in really two different ways, depending on the, the kind of work that I'm doing. Um, first is going back to that vision component of, of that being part of the CEO's job. If you're building a deep tech company in particular, but I'm sure it can't be the only company that's like this, kind of company that's like this, you don't want to just build one product. You, you really want to have a vision and you want to be able to expand and, and I, I hesitate to use the word empire, but you, know, you hope to make something that grows to, to be beyond even your imagination, I think. Hmm. And, um, to be able to do that in a in a space where tech is is just constantly evolving, you've got to continue to put the investment in uh, as CEO to figure out what types of things should you be investing in. I mean, you could rely upon others to try to convey that information to you, mm-hmm. um, but you know, I, I prefer to get the information from the source and and that you know, one source of truth is, is myself. So mm. that is, is one aspect of it. Um, and, and this is, so we're talking research and research is something that is, is not on the critical path. It's a long-term investment. Mm. And I feel comfortable as CEO dedicating some percentage of my time to doing that. Um, if I'm looking at the company and the company's health, which I always am, that's kind of my number one thing. I look at it as I am the steward for this whole organization that I'm building. And as long as, as long as I'm in that role, then I'm going to do what's best for that organization, which may even include getting rid of myself. Right. If I, Mm. I find Mm. that I'm not the best instrument for leading this organization, then that's, that's the indication that I should not be the head of the organization anymore. But Mm. I'm always thinking, again, I'm always thinking about like, what is my role? What is my responsibility to the company? And so that's typically how my week is organized. I prioritize things. I say, what is, how can I add the most value to this company, to this organization right now? Those are the things I'm working on. Hmm. But, you know, I also recognize that I am an employee in this organization too. And I'm not just a cog in the machine. Um, and just like as as chief psychologist, I try to give the rest of the people in the organization assignments or or roles that help fulfill them in some way. I recognize that I have to do that for myself. So I don't yep. do this to a large degree, but you know I allow maybe like five or ten percent of my time to be spent on things that give me joy. 
and mm. um, you know, often those are technical things, and, um, and and so that's how I think about it. Yep, yep. I think that that approach is so creative. And I think that's one of the things I think came up in a session that we had several months ago where you, you shared that. And I thought, wow, that's a really uh, interesting and um, sort of self, self-compassionate self way of approaching this. You're still ultimately putting the needs of the organization first. And you're asking, what does the organization need from me? But at the same time, you're recognizing, hey, I'm a I'm a team member too. And I'm at my best when I'm you know, experiencing joy and, and thriving here. So if there are ways to do that without derailing the team or becoming a roadblock, well then let's do that. Exactly. And you know, what I've found already, even though we're a relatively young company, I think we're, uh, we're just about uh, three years from our date of first funding. Um, those ideas have already or, or that, that spending that time on, on those kinds of passions have already had impact for us. Yep. I worked on a project early this year that um, really just came out of an observation I had that you know, something was costing us a lot of time. I said, you know, I want to figure out how to solve this. And uh, it turned out, you know, it turned into a multi-month project. Uh, I think a, a six or seven month project, just kind of part time. Mm. Um, but it had a big impact on the company. And, you know, I had, I got a lot of joy out of seeing something that was impeding our progress, uh, being able to solve that. Yep. Um, and yep. I, that, that's kind of maybe another thing that, that we can touch on too. I find myself as CEO often acting um, in a supporting role, technically. Mm. Like, because my job, you know, often um, my, my job kind of requirements come in waves, um, I also kind of look for opportunities that I can, I can help our rel- still relatively small team um, accelerate just by removing obstacles. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and that gives me joy, too. Yep. You know, I want to go back to what you were sharing a few moments ago about the, um, the ways that some of your sort of um, giving yourself opportunity to think creatively and at times take on small creative projects related to the technology, how that's yielded, you know, some, some advancements for, for the team. And again, I'm thinking about this connection between what you're doing as a technical founder and CEO and what an artist does to, to, to shepherd and cultivate and, really steward their own creativity. You know, you have to, you have to protect the conditions so that the creative inspiration can happen. And by giving yourself the right amounts and, and the right focus of time to really play in this space, you're stewarding your own creativity, which allows you to continue to cast a vision of what's, what's going to come next. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of alignment between um, uh, arts and uh, and engineering. It's never the case, like you learn in school, that somebody's going to set a problem in front of you and they're going to say, "Solve it," you know, mm-hmm. you know, find X. That's that's just not the case, really. It's a uh, 
first of all, you've got a whole palette to work with. And you can solve problems in, in very creative ways. Am, am I, would I say that um, chopsticks are the only way you could solve this particular problem that, that we're, or this particular class of problems that we're working on? No, but it's definitely works well and it's a fun solution and uh, we've enjoyed working on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think you've got to acknowledge that. that uh, yep. But by you, I, I really, I typically mean engineers because I think uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a whole lot less maybe um, intersection between engineering and the arts than I, than I would like. But um, there's a lot of commonality there. For sure. Yeah. Well, you know, this is the reboot podcast after all. So there's, there's one more area that I want to explore with you before we end our conversation today. And that's really the, what, what's been hardest about the inner journey of this, this process of growth. And by that, I mean, you know, what are some things maybe you've had to embrace and or let go of in terms of your identity, you know, behavioral patterns, familiarity, what's, what's been comfortable, what's been the hardest about that inner process of change for you? Uh, first I think is really a deeper understanding of myself than I ever thought I would have, mm. um, you know, in, uh, in, when I was an academic and a researcher, um, you're spending so much time on cognition and mm. very little, you, you I, I think you have very little time to pay attention to what's going on with you emotionally. And mm. as an entrepreneur, I, I don't think you can or should do that. Um, I have found, uh, and I think you, you and I were talking about this fairly recently, but the body is giving me so many cues from my subconscious and um, those cues are really useful. Yeah. And um, you know, where I could ignore those as a, as a researcher or as an academic, um, I don't have that luxury and, and I'm actually happy to, to be able to get outside of that space because I think, um, mm. yeah, this is, this is a lot of, of what makes us human and, and ultimately, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to build tools that serve humanity. So I think, you know, that connection is, is really yeah. important to me. And I think um, while it's been a hard journey, it's, it's also been very fulfilling. Um, so, so that's been the hardest. I think uh, I could also talk about this, <laughs> this kind of transition from, uh, you know, pure engineer to uh, engineer high business hybrid that mm -hmm. we're currently doing at the moment. And really what that means is, is I have a little bit less time to focus on some of the technical areas that I was able to, to study for so many years. Um, uh, one of the things that I did at Dexterous this last year was instituted an educational plan uh, for all the mm -hmm. employees so that we can consciously plan how to uh, keep ourselves educated and, and learn new things, uh, which for a, a deep tech company is just critical. 
I mean, you mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. you can spend X amount of time on develop. You know, we've got R and D, and there ideally it's going to be some some mix between the research and the development. If you do all research, you're you're never going to produce anything. Yep. If you do all development, you're going to produce something useful, and you're not going to have anything left to do after that. So you've yep. got to figure out how to uh, how to get the right mix there, and um, the educational investment is is part of that. You know, for, for the whole company. So yeah. part of my educational plan is focused on continuing to learn in my technical areas of expertise and, and even outside of them, but also in business as well. Hmm. How I can run the best organization and uh, you know how I can be effective in that role as chief psychologist. Mm-hmm. So maybe last question. Um, what do you sense is the next frontier of growth for you in this area, specifically as it relates to, you know, being the technical founding CEO of Dextrous? Yeah, I, I think um, it's a little hard to say, right? Because what we know if a startup is, is successful and effective is you, you know, double to quadruple in size every, you know, 12 to 24 months. And so the, the organization looks very different. Everybody's roles, well, not everybody's, but a lot of people's roles look very different um, year to year. And my hope is that I'm con- I'm going to be able to continue to strike this balance between effective CEO and um, provider of this vision for the future. Um, one way that I do that, that I've, that I've kind of figured out how to do that is, um, you know, one thing that particularly pretty early on um, in, uh, in startups, the CEO will spend a lot of time doing, wearing a lot of hats. And what I've figured out is, you know, once I'm spending, as CEO, once I'm spending a significant portion of my time doing something, then it's time to figure out how to delegate that role hand that work off to somebody else. And so my hope is that as we continue scaling, I'll be able to continue doing that and continue this investment in our company's future um, where I'm able to stay up to date, relevant, and even push, continue pushing the state of the art personally. Hmm. I like how you said state of the art ties it all together with this theme we've been tracking for the conversation. Well, Evan, thank you so much for this. It's been great to have this conversation. Thanks for being willing to share more of your journey with our listeners. And um, I know this is going to be helpful for folks who are thinking through their own processes as founders, perhaps as, you know, like you, CEOs of organizations where, um, you know, they were uh, instrumental in the early days of the product or the technology. Um, but, But hopefully anybody who's a part of organizational life and is experiencing like we all do the necessary need to to shift to let go of some things so that something new can emerge according to the the season or the needs of the organization i know this will be helpful for folks um, who are experiencing that if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more head to reboot.io slash podcast to explore past and present seasons of our podcast conversations. 
To help more people find and enjoy the Reboot Podcast, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. You can find our step-by-step guide for leaving reviews in the show notes of each episode. And don't forget to join our mailing list at reboot.io slash sign up so you'll never miss an episode. Thank you for listening. Becoming yourself is the ultimate act of leadership. To become who we are takes an understanding of where we came from and how all the ingredients that make up the soup of our life come together to create the person we are today. For many of us, this includes inquiring into our darker shadows, like pain, loss, and fears. In our free self-guided email course, Radical Self-Inquiry 101, you'll look deeply at your relationship to work, and discover how the past and our shadow come to play in the present. Throughout this 60-day course, you'll ask yourself some hard questions like, who am I? Why do I do what I do? And what does it mean to honor who I am and my gifts? At the end of this course, we hope you'll have a better understanding of your work in the world and the guts it takes to become who you really are. If you're ready to kickstart your journey of radical self-inquiry, head to reboot.io slash resources.